Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the ninth episode from the PJ Archive. It features Francis Rossi and Rick Parfit from the British rock band Status Quo, who enjoyed great banter, which made them a joy to interview. This took place in Middlesex in 1994, when they released a book entitled Just For The Record, an album called Thirsty Work, and turned their 1988 hit single Burning Bridges into Come On You Reds, a number one for Manchester United. So whose idea was that? Robson. Brian Robson. Thank yeah. you. I'm really good at football. But it was his idea, apparently, that uh, he'd seen us play at the uh, their football ground a couple of years ago and uh, saw the reaction to Bridges, and he thought it would be a good idea to do a, a football song, a song that was already known, which was a very good idea. Because mm. generally the songs are naff. Yeah. Whatever you think of our one, they're generally naff. Oh, it, yeah. But this one, because it's a, a safer bet, or more sensible, really, and the, the fact that the thing has already been a hit, and it far out. I mean, it sold so many records, we couldn't believe it. And we could have expected maybe 100,000 if you're really, really lucky. And I think it did 400,000 in England alone, which is ridiculous. So were you not thrilled to be working with Man United, the, the league champions? I, well, I was, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, because I'm, I'm quite a football fan. I mean, not that I'm a staunch fan of, of United, but, I mean, there are so many faces in there. I mean, Robson particularly. That, I mean, it's just a pleasure to meet those guys, you know, because they're, if you like, in inverted kind of famous footballers. And uh, I get a, kind of a kick out of, uh, of meeting them. But it was quite funny working with them because, uh, well, let's say that, that their singing leaves it a little bit to be desired. And we got them all lined up in a studio and Francis got behind the desk and uh, just said to them, right, OK, now here's the track, you know the melody, sing the words in front of you and they did and when we played it back I mean it was it was hilarious <laughs> so we gave them some slight assistance from ourselves with the voices <laughs> i.e. we'd done them all <laughs> but uh, no it was again it was a good fun day I mean most of these things that we've that we do these days are are fun I mean that that, that is you know that that record as Francis just explained the, the album we work when we feel that we're productive the video um, everything's uh, geared around having a bit of fun. I mean, even on tour now, we make sure that we're, we're going to have a good time. We make sure that we have fun. You know, it's the worst thing in the world for your for your general, for your spirit, you know, to be sitting around and thinking about whatever. Keep yourself occupied. We have a, a Time Wasters tournament on on tour, uh, where, whereby we play one another at darts. Oh, we've got a trophy cabinet and everything on tour with the most hideous trophies you've ever seen. But uh, we all go for them. We play snakes and ladders, we play drafts, we play darts, we, we have a charter a bowling alley out and, and do all that, and all the games that you can think of. And we all play one another. Who usually wins? Well, Rhino won this year, and he won the most hideous trophy. We got it up in the <laughs> office. Nobody really wanted to win it because it's so horrible. But uh, it, it did kill a lot of time, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, that's basically what it's all about. That's, that's what we're, we're about now. I mean, the hour or so on stage that we do, the couple of hours on stage, is the up of the day, if you like. You know, it's great to get out there and do it. The rest of the time, basically, you find yourself sitting around and <coughs> touring can get monotonous. It can get boring because of the travelling and what we call the official weights. So that's where the Time Wasters tournament comes in. Any official weights, we get playing something. It all turns out to be a laugh. Our sense of humour, I think, is, is, is known fairly well throughout the business. And uh, I, I think we're, we're very fortunate, and I mean very fortunate, to have amassed a team of people on the road who are all happy together. I mean, we've got such a, a happy crew, our road crew. I mean, they're the greatest bunch you could ever meet. I mean, we love every one of them, and, and they get on really well together. They're all mates. We're all mates. It's a very happy, 
uh, vibe on the road. It is a very happy ship, yeah. For the first time ever, I mean, the last few years now, it's been immense fun. And uh, when, it's, when it's like this, it's so easy to work. It's so easy to tour. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's great. I think as well it's, it's, it's fair to say that when we talk a lot recently about fun and being up, having a laugh as it were but I don't, I don't think that should be seen in the way that we don't, we don't take it seriously or that we're not into our music and all that stuff because I think, I think sometimes people see a band that's up there and smiling and trying to enjoy themselves as seen as not serious or not real music and all that the reason that's come about is because the way the old band was, we would be on stage in any given town and maybe uh, Rick or I wouldn't like a particular town or you wouldn't like the venue or the hotel might not be right. You might have had an argument with somebody in the band that day. You may not just feel that good that day. You get on stage and the, uh, the atmosphere and the feeling is dead like that and mm. it just goes downhill. We will not allow that to happen now. Even if it's the worst... And there have been the last few weeks some of the worst sounds Richard and I have ever experienced. Mm. However, we... We think we're professional enough now is to stay. I go, I say, what's it like? It's fucking horrible. But you go, what are you going to do? Nothing. It's no good us going downhill and then passing on to the audience this down feeling. We try and say, well, let's stay up. We know we're glad to be here, whatever way. This is what we want to do. And it seems to get us through a lot more. And we come off stage, well, the sound was dreadful, but the audience were all right, weren't they? And that's, I think, I just worry sometimes that people think, oh, they take it as a laugh and they're taking it seriously. We take it dreadfully seriously. Which is why we want to enjoy being there, guys. You're just about to go off on the road. Um, what can we expect from the from this tour? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Uh, uh, us, I don't know. What can we expect from this tour? We don't we don't set out tours to be um, a tour by tour thing. We have a basic set which we try and keep, and we try and add to each time. We've added some things this time and taken some things out this time. It'll be what people expect of us. I hope. If it's not, that's the problem. How many tours has this been, Rick? Four hundred and. 70, 480. It's been a continual world tour, really, apart from um, 1984, where we had a bit of a split with the others. Uh, we had a year off, 84, 85. Uh, had 10 months off this year. But apart from that, it doesn't stop. It just keeps rolling along. Which hits do you most enjoy performing? Uh, bridges, I think. Oh, I mean, I like, my, we like, I like most of the set. It's easier to find the ones I don't like. I find it difficult to play Caroline, or hard work to play Caroline, particularly at rehearsals. But once we're on stage, none of them are a problem. It's fine because that's the way the set is designed. We enjoy it and they enjoy it. So there's none on stage that we dislike when we're actually playing them. Do you find it tougher to have hits now? And if so, why? Um, well, I don't think we're trying so hard. Um, there, there was a time up to two or three years ago where I think we still had to rely on hits, as it were, to, to maintain. But these days it would seem there's all sorts going on other than r- records. Um, obviously, records are paramount importance and I'm not saying we, we don't want to ever have another hit because that would be wrong but I mean there are books and there are jugs and there are all sorts <laughs> flying around at the moment <laughs> and uh, the profile still just, just seems to, to stay there and we're not solely dependent on our last hit record as it were now Which hits are you most proud of Francis? Uh, most proud of, I think Margarita proposing I wrote those and I, I mean I was co-wrote those uh, but it, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It. But one of them, uh, I think, I'm very proud of is in the army. It's one of those. It, to me, it was a record, very much a record, rather than a recording status quo. And I was quite proud to be on that. And I could say that because it's not one of my songs, man. You've been criticised for having too many songs sounding the same. Have you ever thought of doing something completely different? Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but no. Um, it's like uh, going up to the chairman of Coca-Cola, really, isn't it? And saying, like, your drink is selling millions and millions all over the world. Why don't you change the recipe? And uh, that would be a silly thing to do, wouldn't it? 
Um, it's not, I, I don't think, that the records sound so much the same as that they have the status quo sound about them. And we do have a, a sound which is unlike anybody else's, and I, I think we're, we're, we're lucky in the first place to have found an individual sound. So uh, we stick to it. And uh, if we get criticised for, for sounding the same, then 27 years down the line, so be it. Now, you just released the autobiography of the band. It's basically an autobiography of Rick and myself. You can't really sit this. It's a band. It is the story of the band to, to a degree and here and there, but mainly it's about Rick and myself because the, the whole thing of the band is based on our relationship and the humour between us, which goes between goes uh, to the rest of the band. Well, why did you decide to lift the lid on, on status quo now? No particular reason. It was suggested, suggested to us, and we thought, well, I don't know. And him and I think, well, he wants to read about us too. And we went, went to meet the publishers, and they're extremely enthusiastic bunch of people which is unusual in this business, and we said, well, let's go with it then, fine. If See, when people put things to us, we think, well, I don't know, until prove to us that it might be a good idea, and it seems that it has been a good idea. We received well. Do you not feel that exposing all this information about yourselves removes your mystique somewhat? Well, I don't really think we've ever really had a mystique about us. We've always been that way inclined. We're always revealing ourselves. Um, <laughs> we've never really uh, been of the opinion that we're, we've ever held anything back. You know, I mean, like, we're quite frank in interviews and bits and pieces. And I think, really, we, we have a sort of a duty to, if you like, to a certain extent, to uh, tell people. I mean, we've had fans that have been with us for donkey's years. And um, it's kind of nice at last to really tell them what we've been up to when they haven't been there. Some quite upsetting, controversial material in there, did it? actually bring up much emotion whilst you were... Uh, no, no. It's just the truth, really. We just said it as it was. I mean, there's lots of stuff, obviously, was taken out for various reasons. I read a section what, uh, how Rick felt when he lost his daughter, and I didn't realise too much of that at all. So that was enlightening to me. The rest of it is just me and him. Nothing unusual to us, because we were there and we did it. Yeah, and we did it. I didn't buy a, an ice cream off Rossi's ice cream in the early days. When I wanted <laughs> vanilla, I would have got strawberry flavour. <laughs> 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 that at all. It's charming, isn't it? <laughs> Do you think that generally, if you could start again, that um, you would do much the same sort of thing again, or would you change a great deal knowing what you do now? Well, first and foremost, I mean, I'd, I'd hate, I hate the thought of starting again. I wouldn't want to do that. And having said that, um, no, I wouldn't change anything, really, because uh, we're very, very happy with the way uh, we are at the moment and the situation of the band. I, I don't think I'd change anything uh, at all. When you first started, did you imagine this is the sort of success you'd have, or what did you think would happen? I used to try and put it out of my mind because I thought if if one thinks that you're going to be successful and accepts it as such it's like being ungrateful for it so I always put it aside but always kind of expected it but never thought it would you know one of those I think everybody feels that you don't want to just take it for granted but you always thought you would have you ever thought what the two of you would have done if you hadn't done this have we thought well I, I certainly have I don't know about her I've thought about it and I've no idea I've no idea I, f I figure had I not joined the band, I, I would have been in show business uh, in, in some form because it's always fascinated me right back from Sunday night at the London Palladium. I've always been fascinated by... There's a legs in the air, isn't it? Well, not so much. Not the entertainers and Tommy Trinder and people like that. I've, uh, I've always been fascinated by people on stages. So uh, I consider myself very lucky to be where I am and done what I've done. But if I hadn't have done this, goodness knows, really, I don't know. There have been times when you've been ventriloquist. No, he's dummy. I'd have been his dummy. Sorry. There have been times when you seem to nearly destroy yourselves. Why do you think that was? Why did you almost destroy your own success? Um, you mean the drugs and stuff? 
It's a thing, you don't know it's happening at the time. It's quite, at the time it was very groovy to do that. It seems that all the groovy people around the world were doing cocaine and still do. So you kind of just can't go along with it. It wasn't the thing you set out to destroy yourself. There's no way. Not that we nearly did, but we didn't set out to do that. We tend to think when, you, when you've done some cocaine in, in the early days, you, uh, you see the rest of your career in front of you because you're so high on these bloody drugs. You, you think you can see it all and you map it all out in your own head and then when you wake up the next morning to reality... Well, the next whenever it is, afternoon or whenever you wake up, it's all a load of crap. So, uh, that's left alone. Now, you guys have survived where others haven't. Why do you think you've survived? Good looking, really, I think. Probably looks and intelligence. <laughs> what are you laughing for? We're often asked about that successful, and if we ever actually knew what it was or why we were successful, I believe that we would try and mess with it and say, well, we can, we can do this with it now, and let's do this with it. And, and I think we've always just let things happen, let things be, and it's, luckily it's worked. To what extent is it down to your the relationship between you, the rapport between you? I think it's pretty much 100% down to that. These days, certainly. Um, the fact that Francis and I get on well together, no, and it doesn't put any strain on the relationship to say this, is, is a tonic for the rest of the band. And it, we're very concerned when we go on the road that it is a united front and everybody gets on well because time passes quicker and there's a lot of time in between being on stage where you're travelling on whatever, sitting around in hotels. And I think it's vitally important on the road to have a good relationship with one another. And uh, we don't have a problem with that. Do you regret not having made a bigger impact in the States? Uh, sometimes, yeah, I suppose. But if we'd have done it in, in the 70s, in the middle to late 70s, we'd have had even more money and even more drugs. And I don't think we would have survived. So I think in some ways it's, it's something we've been saved from almost. Although there is that little niggle sometimes in the back of the mind. But we're at a point now where we are grateful and thankful for everything we do have and there was a point in the 70s where we could have kept on going there we were, we kept on going losing money and coming back earning money going there losing money which was getting to be very very silly would you like to have been mega mega stars like michael jackson madonna sort of level no it's no not for us we're happy with the measure of success that we've got you know i, I don't think uh, it's fair to be to be any greedier than that i mean had we broke the states uh, uh, we certainly would have made an awful lot more money, but we would have possibly been dead, so we would have been dead rich. Um, <laughs> or Jeff Rich. No. Similar thing, really. But uh, yeah. No, I mean, no regrets at all. Um, we're, we're very happy with the territories that we've broken, and if the states were to break... And one thing I was, I was very pleased to find out, just only recently, actually, was that the reason we, we didn't really crack the states initially was down to a managerial cock-up. Because I, at one stage, thought, well, isn't this band good enough to break the states? I've, I've seen other live acts, and I think, well, Christ, we're as good, if not better, than them. And uh, now I do know that it was a managerial cock-up, and uh, that makes me feel a lot happier, that knowing that the band is good enough to break the states. But we'll see. I mean, we won't lose any sleep over it, though, if we don't. Do you worry about the way rock music's going? Do you think maybe it's all been done now, there's nothing else to achieve in rock music? No. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. I don't worry about that at all. I, I rather selfishly, maybe, uh, but I concerned with us and us alone. I mean, I, I, I figure as long as uh, as we're on the right track and we're going along. I mean, let everybody else uh, get in. We've been in a mess. We've got ourselves sorted out. Back to the music. Everybody else can do whatever they want to do. I mean, as long as uh, we're doing what we want to do. Um, I'm not really concerned about anybody else. I must say, and I don't really have an opinion on that. I'm sorry. Francis, do you rate any of the new bands? Yeah, I quite like Pearl Jam, I think. A band called Jellyfish, I think, are really clever, but I don't think it would be that successful. They're too clever. 
Can you see successes to yourselves? I don't know. If there, if there is a band that's going to be successes to us, poor sods are in for a lot of chip, aren't they? <laughs> so I, didn't, I shouldn't think anybody's after that position at all. I don't think you can ever do that. There's never going to be a second Beatles. There won't be a second U2. There won't be a second Status Quo. There won't be a second Stones. People try and do that because we try and pigeonhole things, but there are two acts that are really that much alike. Does it worry you criticising new things today because you sort of feel like old people sort of saying the things ain't what they used to be sort of thing? I, I tend not to criticise uh, other people, if, if possible. I tend to avoid it because who am I to criticise somebody else? I mean, I've never seen myself or ourselves for that matter, in a position where we should criticise other people who are possibly uh, more technically better musicians than us or whatever. I'm not saying everybody is, but uh, it's just a suggestion. You know, I can think to myself, they're crap, you know, but I will not voice it. There's no point. Sorry about this one. (laughs) You get a fair bit of flack yourselves. Are you sensitive to that sort of thing? Sometimes it depends on, I suppose, my mood and stuff, where we are, how the band's doing. Sometimes it, sometimes it hurts, sometimes it doesn't. It's, it's part of it. But you can't really take, <laughs> you can't really take uh, any of it too seriously. Although I do, when it, you may read one time, these boys they're the greatest. They've done this. They've done that. They've done this. Hundred million records. They've done. They've played for this. They played for. That. Oh, they were great. They were tremendous. And then the same day, about the same show, in another paper, you read what a pile of shite it was. So you can't take either one too seriously. We will never know because we won't be able to stand out front and judge for ourselves. Do you think the media have been fair to you on the whole, though? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really concerned, I have to say, unless it's strictly personal, uh, on a band um, uh, basis. Um, on a band basis, I, I figure, like, one guy comes to a gig, for instance, and there's uh, 10, 12, 15,000 people really having a good time, and one guy sitting there writing what a pile of shit, and uh, I, I tend to take no notice of that. It, it, it's got to me to the point now where I, I don't even watch TV shows we do. I don't watch the TV shows. I don't read the write-ups. It's best not to read your own press, and then you don't get hung up about it. I mean, people, can, people can say what they want to say. I mean, you know, the fact is, as I said earlier in the interview, we're 27, 28 years down the line now and going stronger than ever, so I, I don't really give a monkey's what anybody says about us. We know we're good, so that's it. Talking of TV shows, <laughs> you've, you've been on top of the pops more times than any other band how do you feel about the way that program's gone now do you think perhaps it's had its day no i don't someone said the other day that uh, it should be preserved because it's been around so long and i think i probably agree with that i think they worry too much about um focusing too young an audience because perhaps it was like that years ago but now there's there's not just teenagers watching it you shouldn't necessarily target just teenagers it should be preserved i think yeah do the two of you have any heroes at all? Is there anyone you haven't met? You must have met just about everyone you could ever want to meet. Is there anyone you haven't met that you'd always want to meet? Difficult question, really. Um, numerous people, I suppose, I would have liked to have met over the years. Uh, Muhammad Ali, I, I had a chance, actually, to meet him and turned it down because I was doing something else, and I'd, I've always regretted that. When he was in London once, I was invited. We, missed, didn't we? Huh? we were going to go and see Presley once. That's right, missed. yeah, and we missed, we missed him. Other than that, nobody springs to well, mind. I, I think we're bad at that, you know. If we do have heroes, so the last thing we're going to do is go to one of their gigs and hang around in their dressing room and be a pain to them, I think. Well, that's what it is. I wanted to meet the Everly Brothers since I was very young, but I've heard stories about them since, and people I know, friends that have worked with them, that are as keen as I am on them, and, and say that... Well, it destroyed them for lucky yeah. day. <laughs> Come in. <laughs> and uh, they said they get brought down by that. You know, I think I would perhaps like to have met uh, Martin Luther King or people like that, Kennedy, somebody like that. But well, people... I mean God. <laughs> yeah, I could sort a few things out there. That'd straighten me out. I'd meet God. You couldn't arrange that, could you? See what we could do. Okay, by the afternoon, because I've got to get going. <laughs> who, are, who are said to be among your famous fans? Um, 
Tarrant is, <laughs> is one, I think the one and only, and uh, I suppose, I mean, well, it's been highly documented that, that Prince Charles is, but uh, we're not actually sure that he's a, he's a great fan. I, I think that he enjoys coming to the concerts, and uh, it does a lot of good for and raises a lot of money for his trust, and that's fair enough on a business level, uh, on a, or on a charity level, let's say. Are the two of you fans of Prince Charles? Um, yeah, I quite like him. Yeah, also, yeah, right, he's, yeah, he's a thoroughly nice chap. Mm. I think he cares. I think he genuinely cares. The, the speeches he's made in, in the last few months about uh, political correctness and uh, all the things with architecture. I mean, he upset the architects, but somebody needed to, because lots of us are thinking, <laughs> "What the f- are you doing?" Yeah. At least he said something. I know it makes him unpopular here and there. He said to be a very witty guy. Have you had any examples of that yourselves? He always seems very relaxed. I mean, whatever you uh, say to him or he says to you, he's always got the right sort of answer. I mean, we've never been in his company, let's say, long enough to to sit down and and really find that out firsthand. I.e., it's only the four or five times that we've met him. Um, has been uh, have been in the in the lineups and things like that. In fact, we did go to a party at uh, Kensington Palace uh, some years ago, and uh, we only again had a very brief chat. And it was a shame, really, because I'd like to spend a bit more time, and I'm sure he would as well. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love to. <laughs> it seems a bit odd that rock stars should be pro monarchy or mingling with royalty and whatever, not, but uh, not necessarily pro monarchy, one way or the other, because of the obvious feelings about the monarchy in our country. I mean, it's, it's good for, um, for tourism and all the other things. But, I mean, all that talk about Prince Charles is not fit to be king, well, who the bloody well is then? He's been trained for it. And you can see it in his whole, his whole demeanour. There was that programme that he did, everyone said he shouldn't have done. He bears his soul to everyone and says, look, I'm going to lay my cards on that table. And they say, you shouldn't have done that. To me, I think he endeared himself to the nation because he, because he was so honest. And you saw, like, his, we know our own schedules and we think they're heavy. They're nothing compared to his. Nobody would take the life of a royal. I really don't think so, anyway. I also think we, we tend to uh, analyse it so much these days. I mean, uh, if you go back to the, the start of, of Queen Victoria's reign, I mean, uh, she was thrown in the hot seat just like that. Nobody had analysed, is she right? Is she, you know, is, is she old enough? Is she prepared for this? You know, she was queen and that was it. You know, and the old boy died and that was it. She was queen. Oh, and uh, she's handled it very well, let's face it. I mean, oh, she's oh, been a very popular... Queen up until the last few years. <laughs> with, also with Charles and the things about his divorce and all that. Compared to his ancestors, he's just a saint. <laughs> he's one of his great ancestors decided that he wanted to get married again and, or he wanted another shag, let's face it. <laughs> and decided, well, I'm going to make another church and if you won't let me do it, I'll start my own church. He even said that in his own... And the fact that he says, I want to be defender... He says in, in the Constitution, he says he's a defender of the faith, this faith, our faith. It's very sectarian, it's peculiar. It's, it's, it, I think the point he's making is he's a defender of faith, yes. Why should he... I'm a Catholic, so there are a lot of Catholics in this country. It was a Catholic country for him to say, no, we're just going to... We take care of this church here, which we made on our own. It's almost uh, comical. Are you practising Catholic? No, I've got it right. What do you mean, practising? Uh, yeah, I suppose. So. I'm not... I'm not uh, I don't go to Mass every Sunday or stuff, but I do go, and I take my children and all that, yeah. I believe in God, you know. Mm. I'm the only dickhead left on the planet, I think, but still... <laughs> Who are your famous friends? Who do you mingle with yeah. outside of work? Nobody. I mingle with Rick. He <laughs> yeah. mingles with me. Yeah, he's famous. We mingle with the rest of the band. I'm quite knocked out knock about with him sometimes because <laughs> I think I know him and I know him extremely well. I've seen him sitting on the toilet, you know. It's, uh, you have sorry. to, haven't you? But uh, outside uh, ourselves, no, not really. I mean, when we do the, the, the charity things, whatever, where everybody gets together for the day, you meet, you know, people, whoever in the rock and roll business uh, 
or in show business in general. And uh, it's always nice to say hello, and uh, but you sort of uh, guest in one another's lives very briefly. Yeah, and yeah. how you doing? You know, all right. And you have a brief chat. And then you don't see him or them for uh, whoever it may be for another five years, maybe or another two years. Well, who are the really nice guys? Who are the ones you know Rick. you would make? <laughs> but I think we. Phil's a lovely guy. Yeah, most of Queen are nice. Slade. Yeah, well, Queen are nice chaps. Slade. Also, you see, I think we see them as stars. We've known each other so long. I can't see him as a star. He can't see me as a star. That's on the outside. So to us, we see everybody else as stars. So for us, like I said, I wouldn't go in there dressing him. I think, oh, I couldn't do that. I was, I was get in their way. It's not right. I you know. find it a little bit intimidating. I mean, when I met McCartney and had a chat to him, I mean, I was, uh, I was very, very nervous. And I went up and I introduced myself. I said, I'm Rick. He said, I know who you are. <laughs> and I was, I was, you never forget that. I was knocked out, you know, that he knew who I was. Yeah, this was at Live Aid. unbearable for weeks after that, <laughs> wasn't you? This was at Live Aid. <laughs> and uh, it just, it, I know Francis gets the same. It, it sort of freaks us out when we meet people. Because we, we always mm, never see ourselves up there with them. We're, we're always, you know, they're always better than us. I don't know why. But being celebrities yourselves, don't you find it difficult for... People don't really treat you normally, do they? I mean, do they just... They do when, when, when they uh, get to know us because we, we have a knack and it's not a deliberate knack but we relax people because me particularly, I'm the sort of bloke who just likes to go over to the pub and have a drink and sit at the bar and have a drink, you know, and I don't, I don't care what other people think. It's how they perceive me because I will not sit there thinking, oh, I'm a star and I shouldn't be sitting in a pub because that's the sort of thing I like doing and if other people get a kick out of it then fine but I, I don't let it bother me I just chat away to anybody and anybody What do you like doing away from work? What do you do to relax and so on? I stay home I'm a terrible, terrible I used to call me Howard Hughes or one of those You know, I really don't like coming out at all I just I like being at home I think for, you know, for the last 20, nearly 30 years him and I have been going it somewhere even today the rest of the band are not doing anything no, we're doing something yeah <laughs> You know, we've done so much together and we do so much that if I get a chance to stay home, I'll stay home. My wife's going to the States to see her parents for two weeks and I'm going to miss her terribly. But if I could talk her out of it and say, well, why don't we just stay home for two weeks? A holiday for me would be to stay home for three weeks with nothing to do. What do you do when you are at home? Do you watch the telly? you read books? What, do you, what sort of things do you get? Read books? No, I'm afraid I don't read. That's why I'm so thick, I think. No, I practice two hours a day and I've done that for the last, blimey, nearly seven years now, I think, six or seven years. I, I don't know. I just, I just am at home. I like the idea of, you know, getting up at, I get up about 8.30, I suppose, and shower and have one's breakfast at once, you see. Once you, once you mix with royalty, you can't help that one business. And I just like to see the day go by just just to be there, just you to live. Oh, so Rick's into his cars. What are you into? My home. I just want to be there. I'm sorry. I have a studio at home. I have a lovely home, and I've liked. I've been there for 20 years, and I really do love it. So, I'm content there. I really am. What, what can you tell us about your cars? What have you got in the garage at the moment? Um, currently, a, a Porsche a Turbo and, a, and an Aston Martin. Got a boat recently as well, which is kept up in town at Chelsea Harbour, and having a lot of fun on that. See, I'm different from Francis <laughs> greatly there. Whereby, when I've got free time. I either like to whack a car over to the continent where I can use it in Germany or something and, you know, fly about over there. Uh, or otherwise go out on the Thames and just, just go boating. I, I love boating, on, especially summer's day like today. I mean, if we weren't doing this now, I would be out on the boat most definitely. It's just a fabulous way, I find, of getting away from, from people if you, if you feel you, you need to, which in our business you do sometimes. And uh, I just really enjoy it. It gives me a sense of freedom and a, and a sense of tranquility. I, I can't find anywhere else. I was going to say, do you like being in silence when you're at home and away from work, or do you listen to a lot I of other music? I've got a choice, really, because I live on my own. <laughs> it's fucking silent, that is. <laughs>
But when I'm when I'm actually indoors, um, I I don't I don't play that much. Um, I don't listen to music indoors. The only time I listen to music is either on the boat or, or in one of the cars. But I, I'm a great uh, telly addict. I, I love television. Even when there's nothing on, I'll just flip around the channels. Mm. It'd be impossible to, for anybody to actually live at home with me and watch telly because I never mm. stop mm-hmm. flipping. Mm. What about you, Francis? Do you go to concerts and things like that? Do you go to gigs? No, 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 no. The last gig I went to was to see the Eagles, I think, when they came over in Hotel California. And they were so bloody good it hurt. I don't, I don't think I've ever been out to one since. I took one of my sons to see Whittersnacker once, uh, Whitesnake. Um, other than that, Rick and I were both supposed to go and see uh, Country oh, Guy, Garth Brooks. Yeah, we were going to see, saw him on TV. I thought, I'm gonna, I said to him, we can't see this. So we said, yeah, let's go and see it. But came to it, we went, well... Country fans, then? Oh, I've always been a country fan, so is he. We, I mean, he did a lot of his background, his country, and the songs that he knows, you know. And a lot of the early stuff that I liked when I was a kid and I thought were pop stars, I found out later on were country stars. The, the, the Everly's, um, Guy Mitchell and uh, Connie Francis, all basically had country backgrounds. And this thing about the country all being the same, to me, country, blues and rock and roll is... About that, that far apart, all the sequences are very yeah, similar. That sorry, yes. It seems to be getting closer as well. I mean, Garth Brooks is almost rock, isn't he? I yeah. think so. Yeah, well, we, we've always lots of the songs we've done that people think are our Wild Side of Life and a couple of others that are basically old country songs that you just pick the tempo up a little bit and you have a little rock song. The, the lyrics are basically the same. The love stories and the, it ain't going down till the sun comes up. That's right. Yeah, no, I mean that was seriously. I mean, me and him sat there and watched it together one day and was really freaked out you know and uh, we can see that as a possible way of for us to go in possibly in, in years to come I don't know because that really gets its rocks off I think it's wonderful do you wear similar clothes off stage to on stage or do you like to wear I had this period in the, in the early 80s where I, was, I wore a lot of suits and I got into buying clothes nearly every week to me that's outrageous I thought I was being a real rebel by wearing a suit and all that stuff I've got out of that now and I just I'm not really much interested in clothes. Last time we were in uh, Italy, um, we were playing somewhere, I can't remember where, but we blitzed an Armani shop, didn't we, and went absolutely mad. I mean, we spent about uh, eight or ten grand between us. He came out with, like, you know, suits galore, and so did I, and shirts, and the whole business. And I, from that day to this, have never seen him in one of his Armani suits. (laughs) And I know he's got a wardrobe full of them, because I was there when he bought them. (laughs) Um, I, I tend to go uh, to Armani in London quite a lot because I, I like his stuff and Versace. I'm more of a, a dresser, if you like, than, than Francis mm. is mm. because I, I go out a lot more. I mean, he has really no occasion to wear his suits. But hey, You've uh, got a lot of adoring women fans. Do they design outfits for you? Could you bring well, them in? So look at <laughs> them. Yeah. Do they design outfits for you and, and send you ideas uh, they have for what you should wear? Our fans? Mm. No, never. Never happened. Nothing ever. Nothing's ever happened like that. No. Mm. It's you, a novel idea, though. It is, yeah. isn't it? We're that yeah. in. We'll get some ideas soon. Let's say, get that shit off. Put this on. Yeah. Have you ever had a pair of jeans which has lasted you the whole pair of jeans? Yeah, has lasted you the whole career. The pair of jeans I'm using at the moment. I've, I think I first put on in 1982 or 83, around mm. about the time of Margarita, and they are really nearly gone. They're so thin and light, and but you get it, you get into a pair of jeans and it. it it sounds stupid, but to go on stage in a new pair of jeans is a big step. And it does sound stupid and it feels stupid, forget that. But it's true, you know, I won't change the jeans until I really, nor does he, unless they really have to change them. Was the jeans and T-shirt image an accident, or were you actually advised to have an image? We, we, we wanted to do it, because we were advised before that um, to wear frills and to wear bell bottoms. and We looked like a couple of Christmas trees, you know, it was really, it was getting really daft, and we rebelled against it, and we, we just didn't want it. 
and we, we basically wanted to go on stage as we knocked about every day in, in those days back in the early 70s, uh, which was jeans and a T-shirt. Mm. That's basically all we used to wear every day and that's how we went on stage I mean we basically didn't change just went to the gig and just walked on until we we smelt and then we'd give them a wash put them back on and and the whole jeans thing has come about since then but uh, one pair even as hard wearing as Levi's or Wrangler whatever jeans they are however hard wearing they are one pair would never see you through your career because they do get severely sweated every night and they're washed just about every day and they'll, they'll take it for maybe a couple of years, two and a half years, and then, then they'll start to go through. And you have to break in a new pair, which, as Francis says, is, is bloody tricky. I've got that coming I'm up a- soon, I think. Yeah, I imagine you've been offered contracts, haven't you, by jean companies? Haven't you? Well, in the old days, in, in, in the 70s, when, because you have to remember that in the late 60s and early 70s, the denim wasn't around. There were no denim shirts, for one, other than, other than the farmers' ones in the States, for one. <laughs> And uh, you couldn't go to work in a pair of jeans. You were unlikely to get in the cinema. You were unlikely to get into a restaurant. Hotels you wouldn't get into. And it, at that point, we, we must have been, had something to do with the whole denim explosion, if you nice. wish. You no, they would never let you in. And um, the trousers are too tight. You couldn't. No playroom is there. <laughs> and uh, I remember some, something because we talked about this recently. That we had this. I don't know if we had a contract with Levi. We, we were on posters in every Levi shop there was, and. We'd only dawned on us very recently that what, the only thing we were given for that was some denim. Now that we're older, we realise obviously some yeah. cash must have changed Seriously, hands. And, and yeah. It didn't come into our pockets. We got some denim and we all had denim clothes made. That's all we got. Because you're so recognisable, have you ever had to disguise yourselves to go out? No, we wouldn't do that. We never see ourselves as, in inverted commas, the stars. We, we can't see ourselves like that. And I think it's other people's um, problem, if you like. If, if uh, you know, how can I put it? If they want to come up and and say hello, I mean, that's fine. I, I had a guy recently in Piccadilly Circus. It was immensely funny. I'd taken my son to see the, the waxworks of us in the, uh, what's it called? Rock Circus. In the Rock Circus. So we came out of there, and the guy came up to me, he said, I said, yeah. He said, right, he said, I've been a fan of yours for 20 years. He said, I love your band. And he's nattering away, and uh, goes on for about five minutes. And I said, look, I've, I've really, you know, I've got to go. I'm in a bit of a hurry. He said, well, it's been fantastic to meet you. And he said, when you see Rick, give him my regards. Wow. And I laughed. I've never forgotten it. That it's so, so funny. Much. Mm. You know, how you can mistake him for me or me for him is beyond me. When did you two colour eyes. When did you two last have short hair? When we were at Butlins, 1965, I suppose. Yeah, we started growing it in 70, 1970. I suppose we started growing the barnets and... Never had short hair since. You've got quite a lot of people who've been with you all the way through. I imagine you have. Yes, we have. I mean, I don't know all their names, but some of them, some of them we do know. There used to be a bunch that used to come and see us in Glasgow when they were all about 12 for the oh, years. Oh, one bird. She's a big girl, a very big girl. We're all crashing out one night. We're in Bournemouth. We're crashing out. Oh. Uh, we're nearly asleep. And we hear... <laughs> we hear, like, the opening of Caroline starting. You're, you're really we thought, where are the bloody hell's that coming from? I'm laying there, I thought, well, it won't be Frame, because he don't particularly like playing the intro to Caroline, I know that. <laughs> um, it won't be him. Who the br- and we, all of us, sort of, you couldn't help but hear it, woke, woke the whole floor up, and there's this bird, she's a fan, she's an ardent fan, she's a, a mad fan, shall we say. She's out in the corridor, sat on top of a little amplifier, with a guitar, playing Caroline at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> How she got in, I shall never know. But yeah, lots, uh, of, lots of weird ones. Like, there used to be a woman who used to follow us, and we called her Snogger Woman. <laughs> and she was a taxi, she used to work for a taxi in Land Revenue somewhere. <coughs> but she would stand and just stand and stare 
It started off okay for a while, you know, autographs are fabulous, and she'd plant a kiss like that. But in the end, she'd, there was a couple of times that we were going into St. Austell, and somebody said, look, there's Snoggle, and she's going to grab you around the neck, and it's going to be a prop. So they had lined up these guys for me. So we come off the bus, and I get in like that. I keep my head down, they put your head down, so you're in the building. I'm in the building, fabulous. And suddenly this woman just went and landed on top of me on the floor. And she's, she's been in my house, she stands, just stands like that. It's motionless, you know. And it's happened a few years ago. I mean, she's a nice girl and all that. And there was another one, I spoke to her and her husband at my house. And then after that, we were, I was getting loads and loads and loads of letters and little presents and tapes. And in these letters, it was suggesting that I'd been in, she'd been in my private airplane and private... Uh, boat you see so that was she, I knew she was on a sticky wicket there yeah. we've had a lot of the fans ask us to play at their weddings stuff oh, like that nice. we, we get letters quite often like, would you no would you consider coming and playing at, uh, at our wedding we normally reply and politely say no I mean, yeah but, uh, no I'm in asking is it What's it like playing on a stage with all those millions of people out there just come to see you? Well, that must be an amazing feeling. Yeah. That's what we always say is that anybody in any other walk of life, when you came to, when you walk into the office in the morning, go, morning. When we walk on stage, they go, yeah! And there's all these people go, you think, well, it's not bad, it's not a bad start. You know, if you got that when you walked in the Absolutely. office in the morning, you say, I feel good today. They like me, you know. Even, so if, even if you don't feel good in yourself, exactly. if you've got a bit yes. of flu, if you've got a cold or whatever, I mean, you know, the old, old saying, the show has to go on. Yeah. And yes. you think, oh, no, not tonight. You know, I've, you haven't slept well or something, mm. you know. You get out there, any aches, pains, grazes, bruises, cracks, anything, it all goes as soon as you get out there. As soon as those lights go down and the roar goes up, there's no, no other feeling like that. We've often described it as better than sex. It's incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. the goose pimples. And, I mean, you still get that. And as long as we've still got that feeling coming from the heart, as it were, you know, and it really does move us. They're a fabulous bunch, our fans. They make a lot of noise, and we love it. Has anything matched Live Aid for you? From an audience point of, uh, point of view, yes, in terms of the last few weeks we've been doing festivals in East Bloc countries. We did one in the New Slovak Republic and last the other day in uh, Estonia. And there's a certain um, freshness about them. They're not as blasé as the rest of us. But to say, yeah, in Bratislava, but to say that too, the Live Aid gig was different. It's never going to, there's never going to be anything quite like that. The audience in that arena, particularly at London, I mean, the, the, the American side was, as everyone said, it was a different ball game. It was more show business. It wasn't so show busy in England. It was just the event. There's, the feeling of that audience was different than any other audience. It wasn't just they were, uh, the people in uh, this weekend in uh, Estonia, it was yeah this, let's move whereas the, the feeling in, in Wembley was just a, a total euphoria of isn't it great what we're doing we're all doing something mm. and I think it's, it's we have to say too that on those charity kind of, kind of events we don't really give anything it's alright for everyone to say oh they wonderful status quo those things they've done for charity but in all the charity events in the last ten years the public give the money as usual we don't have you got any favourite funny moments from Live Aid? Not remembering mm. being on at the uh, 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 on the finale although when I saw it back I remember. I saw that I was on there. I saw the video of it. I don't remember being on there. We had to. We had to gather we, backstage. Had a we had to gather backstage for this finale, and I was sat on a table with uh, Dave Bowie, Nils Lofgren, me, Bowie, and there's somebody else on this table. And we sat on this table talking, and they were saying that we've got to go out and do this finale. I said, I hate all that, you know. And all of a sudden, the lights went out, and the table collapsed, and the three of us were flat on the floor. <laughs> and I woke up, and they were all gone. <laughs> I sat on the floor on my own, trying to find a way to dart to the stage. Yeah. Oh, you've actually fallen off a stage once. What other disasters? Well, okay, a couple of times. What other disasters have you had on stage? 
Oh, they're numerous. I mean, there, there, there are certain <clears throat> things. I changed my the position of my, my floor monitors one, one evening because I wanted to get some a bit, a bit more of the drums back by my stacks where I stand quite a lot against my stacks. So I'd placed a monitor in an abstract position. And, I, of course, I forgot it was there. And in a, in a blackout, I went off to change my guitar I came skipping back on in this blackout to be there for when the lights hit again. And I went straight into the monitor, and it's got a sharp leading edge to it. Mm. And I cut my left shin. I've still got a scar on there now. And uh, I thought, me, that hurt you. But, you know, when you're on stage, your adrenaline's high, and you don't really feel it so much. But I'd gone flat on my face, you know, lucky enough the guitar had stayed in one piece, and I was ready to go with the lights hit. And I'm playing away there, and I thought, Christ, have I hurt my leg? And I looked down, I've got blood all down my sock, and... I come come off afterwards, and I've, I've split my shin and stuff like that. But you know, when you're on there, no, nothing hurts really. We're, mm. We've fallen over numerous times where you know, because we fly about a bit, and, mm. and oh, I nearly knocked him out recently. He was standing over me, and I was ducked right down, and I slung my hair back <laughs> like I do, and came up right in his chin, oh. right. And now it didn't fracture his skull. I don't know. You have to go off. No, no the show goes on. Number, he said, you're all right? I said, yeah. Well, I went over to Mike and spoke, and he went, <laughs> blood came flying out. Oh, pandas loved it. They love it. Oh, look, he's bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get that. Our manager at the time said, quick, get a photo of it. There's blood, there's blood. Pissing down your face. Yeah, that's really good. Would you say you two are enjoying yourselves more than you did at the beginning? Definitely. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Yes. Without a shadow of a doubt. It's great now. Because you can relax, you know you've made it and you don't need to worry no, about it. It's it's bit, him and I, we had a period in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, perhaps through the middle to late 70s, after rocking all over the world, where, for whatever reasons, uh, people have always had this thing of, it sounds terrible, but people have had this thing of trying to come between us. And I saw a seed of doubt in him and one in me, and then we can't look at each other anymore. Mm. He may say something he said, oh, he's done against me, which, thinking about it, I just thought, he wouldn't do that. Mm. I, just got, I just got that. But, we got through all that. We now we now understand each other better than we did. We're, much, we're we're as close as we were when we first met, which is great. I even I just said to him, I, he, he's looking for a place to live. We might and for the neighbors. first time, for the first time in since I knew him, really, I'd like him to come and live near me. And I just said to him just now, and this is true, this is I'd like him. Right. I'd like him to live with <laughs> near me for my sake. It wouldn't really suit him. I just realised last night I was looking around. I thought it wouldn't really suit you. You don't know the area. You don't like it. But it was for me. That's 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 a sign that we are. I'd like to have him near me now. As time goes by, are you seeking diversions, do some acting no, or anything no, like that? Or? No, we've been asked, we've been approached about um, a TV series where a him and I show. host a, yeah, a chat show. But, I mean, we have to put all that on the shelf for the moment because we're focused so heavily on Quo with the, with the new album, the, the single, and Quo rolls on like it does. And we're so focused and up to our eyes... Uh, with work all around the world still breaking new territories I mean looking at America again next year just so much to do and uh, if there is still an opening in whatever in television or or something else uh, let's say the the end of the day God knows when that will be I I don't ever see that coming but uh, if you know then then maybe we'd possibly look at doing something different but uh, at the moment, no, we're, we're fully focused on the band. Do you think you two will always be friends? Now we oh, like, yeah, yeah, for the rest of our lives, without a shadow of a doubt. I just hope he wants to come on the space shuttle, because I want to do that before I die. I want to take a trip. Yeah, it's easy top, because haven't they booked themselves on the first flight to the moon? No idea. Apparently no idea. Have. But uh, we're looking at them. I doubt they'll live that long. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I'd, I'd love to do that, being loving the things I do, like planes, boats and cars. You know, I love all that. And I'd love to do that before mm. I... Uh, before I pop off 
who knows? You know, we might do it afterwards, I don't know. What's your idea of bliss, the two of you? Being at home with the most successful album we'd ever had, put it that way. I'll just have that thing that we've had very big albums, you know, but I think it's not going to happen, but it would be lovely to have something something like a, as big as a Hotel California or, or as a room. It's one of those albums, you know. Yeah, exactly. It, it's not going to happen, but it'd be nice. Uh, just to be um, really and thoroughly relaxed and happy with no pending this and pending that and just have no worries and just be able to get on with my life and... Uh, and do what I want to do and, and have fun. That's really all I want to do without any weight on my shoulders at all. I'd love that. People always ask you how long you're going to go on for, but you never actually say. Do you actually secretly have a plan somewhere that you never reveal? No, we wouldn't, we wouldn't answer that question, would we? <laughs> no, we don't. We don't know what's going to happen next. We, haven't, we know that um, we're about to do this tour as long as we don't drop dead or whatever in the morning which is very possible yeah. then we're going to do something with an album in the early part of next year uh, we're doing festivals through the summer in Europe next year which will lead us around to this time of the year again and probably do another British tour presumably there'll come a point where it's not sensible to carry on because you're just going to look well not for me to say but. Um, well when that point comes um, I, I hope that uh, we will realise it before we start to look DHs right and I think we'll either know it within ourselves or the audience reaction or whatever, or somebody will let us know. Or, 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 they, just, won't be there. or they won't be there, which will be a fairly good indication that uh, it's time to stop. But I certainly don't relish the thought of that. I mean, because I, I like what we're doing now. I like going out on the road. And uh, I, I still enjoy it. And I think Francis does as well. And uh, I, I don't want to stop yet. Do you have any idea what you'll do when you do stop? Retire. No, probably, probably work in a studio as much as I can. I like working in a studio in my own studio. But um, no, I can't see it anyway. This, we hope to make at least to the year 2000 if possible. I know that pisses a lot of people off, but it'll please a lot of other people too. And there's no, need to, there's no, need, no reason for us to presume that everyone loves us. So, in fact, it's the opposite. Most people don't like us. We sell 10 million albums in this month in, in this year in, in, in England, their new album. That means roughly 58 million people don't care. That's how I base that one. You've both got children. Is there a second-generation status quo somewhere? There's not a second-generation status quo, but there's a second-generation of uh, musos, if you like, coming up. Um, uh, my son, for instance, I mean, he's doing it the correct way. He's, he's gone to university and he's learning music theory and music technology. So technically he'll be a lot better than me, but uh, whether he uh, aspires or wants to aspire to uh, the success that his dad's had, I don't know, but uh, that's up to him. He's got to find his own way. Do you worry about dying of boredom one day without the music? Boredom. Boredom. Oh, I boredom. <laughs> dying of boredom without... Well, that wouldn't be so, even if we stopped being in status quo. I don't think we'd stop, even if it was only privately. You'd still do something musically, so you might get something out of that. We'd probably miss being on the road or miss the adulation and all that, but that has to come eventually. I like that, doing something musically. You don't realise you're doing it. Just doing musically, you know. Yeah. Now, you have, as, as you've admitted in this book, particularly uh, led quite reckless lives. Are you worried about the damage it's inflicted on your health and, and all the headbanging and so on for your future years? Uh, it does dawn on me, I, I must say, because uh, I suffer slightly from arthritis, but that's, that's been in my family. And, I mean, that worries me from, I suppose, 70 onwards. I may be a little bit crockety, I don't know, but uh, I tend not to think about that. Luckily, from the, from the self-abuse point of view from the earlier years, um, 
it doesn't seem to uh, have affected my, my head or anything. <laughs> um, it doesn't seem to have affected us so far, <laughs> but it, it, it may take its toll in, in years to come, who knows, but so far so good. What about ambitions in, in the business, Francis? What have you got left? Perhaps to make it to the year 2000 beyond, perhaps. But I don't think I have too much more ambition in the, in the business, in the business sense. I know that I would like to be old. I'd like to get old. I never thought I would. I'd always thought I'd be fed up by the time you're 40 and, you know, one thinks 40's old and all that shit. But now I'm uh, looking forward to getting into the 80s. I want to leave until I'm at least, at least 80. I want to appreciate all my children growing up, the younger ones. And I want to do those things that old people do, whether it's go to the bowling club and bowls and or sitting on the beach at Brighton out of season with the sandwiches and a flask and a crossword. I don't mind. I'm looking forward to it. Do you think the two of you will always stay in Britain, or do you think you might go to sunnier climes and live your twilight years over the year? I think it'd be nice to combine the two. I mean, especially with my arthritis, to be able to go to the sun in the winter. But basically to live in England, yeah. I mean, I've never lived anywhere else, and I've never really had a, a desire to go and live anywhere else and learn another language or something like that. I'm trying um, to learn American. Yeah? So I'm going to live there with a wife. How are you doing? I got it, yeah. Yeah, all right, you. (laughs) Finally, as you set out on this great new tour, what is your message to all the fans out there? Be there, enjoy it, 